0: amen thank you katie good morning everybody you know if it seems like our staff is a little bit tired today there's good reason for that Um, three of them got back from nicaragua on monday and then all of us on wednesday went to a conference for the second half of the week and uh, we didn't get much sleep but we had a great time at the catalyst conference it's for young church leaders ton of ideas, and, and I, we came back just energized and excited for what God is going to do in this next season of life here at Highlands. We can't wait to share some of that with you in, in the coming months, and we're really excited about what God is doing, both in us and in our church, and so uh, stay tuned for that, but thank you for making that possible, that investment in staff. And also, if, if Brian seems tired back there on the soundboard, it's because he basically moved in here this week and uh, installed a new digital board for us And also rewired the stage. I mean, it's unbelievable what he pulled off in a week. So we can't do what we do here without volunteers. And that's just one example of great volunteers that that come in and give so much to the ministry of Highlands. So thank you, Brian, and thank you to everybody. All right. So last year, there was a book that was released by Pastor John Ortberg, and it is called All the Places to Go. And this book is largely, as you might guess, is largely inspired by another book, one by Dr. Seuss, called Oh, the Places Will Go. And in this book that Ortberg wrote, he talks about all of the open doors, all of the opportunities that God lays before us in our lives. And as those who walk through that open door to go to Nicaragua can attest to There are so many possibilities and opportunities when we say yes to God when he opens a door to us. And we're going to hear a little bit more from some of the members of that team from Nicaragua a little bit later in this message. But in the fourth chapter of this book by Ortberg, he talks about an argument that he once got into back when he was in seminary with his wife's aunt. And his wife's aunt started the whole argument by saying you know, I really love that passage in the Bible that says, God helps those who help themselves. And then Ortberg replied, that's not in the Bible. And then she said back to him, not only is it in the Bible, it's my favorite verse. And Ortberg came back to her and he said, I'm in seminary, and I'm going to bet you $20 that that is not in the Bible. Of course, the irony of the fact that he was betting on the Bible hit him a little bit later on. But but he did say, you know, it was the only time in seminary that anybody paid me for what I was learning, and so I really liked it. Because as it turns out, Ortberg was right. God helps those who help themselves is not in the Bible. And that's what our current series is called, Not in the Bible. Bible. We're looking at several phrases that people think are in God's Word, but aren't actually there. Last week, we talked about God will never give you more than you can handle. There's something really similar in Scripture, but that phrase itself is not in the Bible. And if you want to know what Scripture actually says, I encourage you to go online this week and listen to the podcast from last week and check that out. Because today we need to move on to this phrase God helps those who help themselves. If it didn't come from the Bible, then where did it come from? Well, maybe the most famous usage of this phrase comes from Benjamin Franklin in Poor Richard's Almanac. Now, Franklin gives all sorts of pithy quotes in this almanac that he has things like, A friend in need is a friend indeed, and fish and visitors stink in three days. And this one, three may keep a secret if two of them are dead. So Franklin has all sorts of memorable sayings in this book, but don't mistake memorable sayings with something that's actually in scripture. And you know, today's quote actually goes back even further than that. It goes back some 2,600 years. The first reported use of this was at a time where some of the old testament was being written that's how old it is in aesop's fable was the first time people somebody actually said this it's in his fable hercules and the wagoner and this is a story of a man who gets his wagon stuck in the mud and then he calls out to hercules for help and hercules arrives on the scene and he says get up put your shoulder to the wheel And the moral of the story is, the gods help them who help themselves. So this is a very old saying, but it's from Greek mythology and not from the Bible. And it has some things that it teaches that are similar to what Scripture says, but it also teaches some things that are completely contrary to what the Bible says. So we're going to talk about these things today. Uh, let's talk first about the things that this, past, that this saying has in common with Scripture. I'm going to show you a bunch of Scripture today as we go through this, and it's going to help us really understand what, what the Bible does say. Uh, the Bible actually really has a lot to say about hard work. It encourages hard work, and it contrasts those who work hard with those who tend towards idleness in their lives. So let's look at some scripture that talks about this. In the Old Testament, lots of Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 11, It says, those who till their land will have plenty of food, but those who follow worthless pursuits have no sense. They don't have the other kind of sense either. C-E-N-T-S. Proverbs thirteen four, It says, the appetite of the lazy craves and gets nothing, while the Appetite of the diligent is richly supplied. So this teaching is really straightforward. It tells us that it's wise to work. If you want to have food on the table and if you want to provide for your family, work is important. I love how Proverbs 6 puts it. It says, Go to the ant, you lazy bones. Consider its ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, it prepares its food in summer and gathers its sustenance in harvest. I love this image. Who hasn't seen a trail of ants before walking in a row? They know instinctively that they need to go out and get their food and bring it back. They give us a model of hard work in community. Here's one more passage. This one's from the New Testament and it's a teaching for early Christians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their living. Now there are several things that we can get through from this passage. First, it talks about idleness. And what that means, a person who is idle in this context, it's somebody who has the ability to work but refuses to work. This letter was written to a place called Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, there were often these traveling itinerant philosophers, cynics, who came into town and they had a lot to say about everything. They had a lot of critiques to say about the culture, a lot to say about the people who were passing them by, but they themselves refused to work. They just begged in order to get what they needed. And Paul wanted to distance himself from From these people. In his other letter in scripture to to the Thessalonians, he alludes to them and he talks about how they used impure motives and trickery and flattery and greed in order to try to win influence with other people. Paul says, We want to distinguish ourselves from that sort of behavior because he wanted to encourage hard work and he worked hard himself as a tent maker. He also wanted to address here the attitude that says, hey, you know what? God will provide, so I don't have to do anything. I can just sit back and relax. You know, this passage talks about what happens to people when they are idle. It uses the word busybodies. What does that word mean? Well, the Greek word behind it means to meddle in the affairs of others. It means doing none of your own business and majoring in the business of other people. Meddling in our lives keeps us from doing any self-examination, doesn't it? We can sit on our front porch and we can look at everybody else who goes by and tear them apart and say all the things that they're doing wrong while completely ignoring what's going on in our own lives. God would rather have us work than meddle. He teaches us in his word To earn our own living in quietness. So, God encourages hard work. That part of the the little saying gets it right. God does want us to work. You can't be lazy all the time and expect to just have everything dropped in your lap. But there are some very important differences between this saying and what Scripture teaches. Like, for instance, this idea that we can even help ourselves. Scripture teaches us that when it comes to salvation, we are completely helpless. We cannot help ourselves, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have not lived up to God's standard. None of us is perfect, and so we need a Savior, and that is who Christ is. He is our Savior, and He has saved us entirely in grace. Here's another passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Here's where mere religion gets it wrong. Religion says, I will do good works, and then God will do good things for me in my life but faith in Christ says the opposite is true. It says, God has done good things for me. Therefore, I will go out and do good works. Do you see the difference? It's completely different. We don't do good works in order to earn standing with God. God gives us the standing before him in grace, and we need to receive that in faith. And then in response to those things, we go out and, and we live in response to the gift that we have been given. It's a huge difference. By the way, God has always operated in this way, even in the Old Testament. In the story of the nation of Israel, when they were brought out of slavery in Egypt, and Moses led them out, and they went through the Red Sea. You know, all of that happens before God gives them commandments. So he saves them before he gives them his commandments. God's grace, his salvation, always goes before. There was once a man who wanted to teach this to a group of children at his church. And so in the Sunday school class, he he met with them and, and he started teaching them about it. And then to see if they were getting it, he decided to ask them a series of questions. He said, If I sold my house and my car and I gave everything to the church, would that get me into heaven? And the kids got the message. They replied, no. And then he went again and he said, if I cleaned the church every day and I mowed the lawn and I kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven? And the kids replied once again, no. And then they were, they were starting to really go with him and the energy was building. And so he said, well then, if I was kind to animals and I gave candy to all the children and I loved my wife, would that get me into heaven? And the kids yelled, no. And so he said, one more question, then how do I get into heaven? And at that, a five-year-old boy just yelled out, you got to be dead. (laughs) Well, yes, unless Christ returns in our lifetime We are going to pass from this life before we enter eternity with him. But even more important than that qualification of being dead to get into heaven is the qualification of being saved from all of our wrongdoing in our entire life. And that is what Christ does for us. We're not saved because of our strength or because any works that we do. It is entirely an act of God's grace. In Christ, grace came to the weak and the ungodly like me. And I'm so thankful for that. Thus, this quote, that God helps those who help themselves, misses a really important part of God's word. And that is that salvation is not something that we can help ourselves with. We need a Savior. And here's one other way that this quote falls short of what scripture says. Because God's word tells us that greatness is not found through helping ourselves, but through helping other people. I have one other passage I want to read for you today. I'm going to read it out of the Bible this time, out of my written Bible here. This is Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45. So Jesus called them and said to them, you know that among the Gentiles those whom they those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them and their great ones are tyrants over them but it is not so among you but whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servants and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all for the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, here's the thing. Jesus said this in response to two of his disciples, James and John, who came to him and they said to him, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, can you ha- have it so that we can sit at your right hand and your left hand? You see, these two guys, they expected Jesus to have an earthly kingdom like all other kings do. And they imagined themselves, when Jesus was sitting on his throne, that they could be in the places of position and authority and honor and sit right beside him so that everybody would know how important they were. They were trying to help themselves. But then Jesus says to them, whoever wants to be great must be your servants. Now, as you can imagine, this message was just as countercultural in Jesus' day as it is in our day today. In the Roman world, those who were great were those who had the most power. The more power you got, the greater you were viewed and perceived to be. And servants, on the other hand, those were people who were subordinates, people who did menial tasks for other people. And Jesus says, Those are the people, the people who have the heart of a servant. Those are the great ones. In the next verse, he went even further, and he used the word slave. It's pretty dramatic, don't you think? Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the great ones, greatness in this life, it comes from people who willingly put themselves below others in the power structures of our world It comes through humble acts of love when people aren't looking. We tend to think of servants as those who have no influence and can't do anything great. And yet it's when Christ came as a servant that the greatest thing in the history of humanity happened. He won the ultimate victory. He he expanded his household. He changed the fate of billions by being a servant. Now that's power. Today, he calls us to follow his lead and to do the same thing, to seek greatness, not through power, but through service, through helping others. So I want us to take the rest of our time this morning, and I want you to hear about what serving does in our lives, not from me, but from those who went on the Nicaragua trip. We have three really quick, short videos uh, of various people uh, on the team, both when they were on the mission field and right after they got back, just sharing about their experiences. I wish we could show you everything that everyone said. We couldn't get it all in in a short amount of time. But we are going to show you, first of all, this first video is going to talk about how when we serve, there are unexpected rewards. So let's see that. So the gift of going to a place like Nicaragua on a mission trip is that you go and you serve, but there's no distractions. There's no work, there's no family, there's no smartphones, and you just get to serve and uh, be with the people. Our little group, the last couple of days, shared a familiar children's story, uh, The Hungry Caterpillar. And Tracy read it in Spanish, and you could just see the smiles, and we used that as a devotion. and um, that was really rewarding. The joy that i I have gained from these people, um, even though they live in the worst conditions imaginable, um, they still have smiles on their faces. When I'm doing boy sports, i uh, we play soccer every day, and they kick our butts every day, but <laughs> Uh, just to see them laugh and have fun with a soccer ball, the goalposts are made out of sticks and they're more happy than anyone could ever be. It's just to see their smiles on their faces is probably the best thing I've seen. We get to this kid's house and I went in with my clinical hat on and that totally was not what God had planned. My, my only job that day was to love on that kid and I picked him up and I held him and for the first time that kid smiled. I asked him for a high five, and he put his hand in mine, and he want to move his hand. Seeing how being obedient and listening to what God has is huge. These people have so much love for God, not only God, but for each other, and it's just so special. You can just see the love in their eyes, and it's just apparent the Holy Spirit is working in their heart every single day. I love listening to to our students and adults reflect on these experiences, because they do show that when we put our faith in what God says about being a servant, that there is blessing involved, unexpected blessing and unexpected rewards. There's also opportunities to grow, and that was one of the other things that our team came back talking about, so let's see about some of those. I feel like God puts us outside of our comfort zone, so we can grow more in him. I feel like he pushes us outside so he can meet us there. The biggest lesson that I've learned is to love unconditionally because watching my site leader love the kids at the school and watching the kids love us when they have nothing is super inspiring. I'm definitely going to take home a lot more Jesus because when I got here I didn't feel like I had a very strong relationship with him but Through the people of Nicaragua and through the people that came on this trip with me, I feel like he has spoken to me in many different ways and taught me, like, countless life lessons that I'm going to be able to use for the rest of my life. The people of Nicaragua welcomed us just openly. We're total strangers from another country. I learned that I'm very judgmental. I want to be more forgiving and just, just learn how to how to open my heart to, to people and feel you know, freely. I was talking with my leader, Maria Jose, who I love so much, and um, she we were saying bye, and she said that if she doesn't see me again here on earth, that I'll see her in heaven. It made me think about the people that aren't saved in this world and that I wouldn't be able to say the same to them. And so that made me realize how important it is to go out and spread God's love and word each day because those that aren't saved won't go to heaven. That's that's the truth. I came into this thinking that I was going to change people's lives, and in reality, they changed mine. Yes. So big lessons that were learned through this opportunity to serve. So... There's one more video that we want to show you. And this one is one that shows that how when we serve, it begins. And when we help other people, it begins to change our perspective. And it helps us to see things as our creator sees things. So let's look at one more of these videos. The other night we were talking about doubting Thomas. God really revealed to me that I too am a doubter. And I also wanted to see God's scars. To see where Jesus was broken and how his body was broken for us. God revealed to me here in Nicaragua that I have seen his scars. It's in the brokenness of the women who have been abandoned by their husbands. It's in the the children who come to meet with us and haven't had lunch because their families can't afford it. Those are God's scars. Those are the the results of sin. Um, But then he also revealed to me that his love and his mercy are so much greater than that. And I saw that in the smiles of the same women who were broken and abused and abandoned by their husbands, but uh, through the the smiles of the children. I mainly saw work like in the eyes, of, like all the kids. They live in little like shacks of like tin and wood. These little kids would just come out into like this, dirt, like this field of like dirt and dry grass, and they would just play soccer. It's just really inspiring. Yesterday when we went to the Potter, his. was to let everybody at every stage in your life know that your life is like a um, fragile piece of clay that God is shaping. I'm not perfect and I still have flaws and I still have dirt in my pottery definitely Um, but I see people completely different than I did before because I've been there and I've been through so much that I'm not gonna judge people because I don't know what they've been through or what they are going through at that very moment. I have seen him move in many ways and there's this five year old girl and and the mom was bulimic so at five years old she turned anorexic. Dr. Celia was a was like an angel sent from God because she went to this girl's house every day to God showed his love through Celia to the five year old girl. No matter how hard their living conditions may be they still are so overjoyed every day when they wake up just like because that they have one thing and that's the only thing we need in life is God. All right. Special shout-out to Kevin, who uh, got back on Monday, went to the conference on Wednesday, and was able to put those videos together for us. So thank you, Kevin. How great is it to see what happens in people's lives when they go out and serve? Um, That's because what we've been talking about all day is truly God's Word for us, and it's true. So to conclude today, God helps those who help themselves, not... Scripture does talk about how hard work is important, but at the same time, we cannot help ourselves because we need a Savior, and that Savior came to us in Jesus Christ. And when we realize that He is who He says He is and that He has come to save us, then we learn that greatness is not found in helping ourselves, but in helping others. So let's seek to live our lives as those who want to be truly great. We bow and pray with me? Lord, I thank you for all these testimonies that we get to hear from those who went on the trip. We thank you that your word is, is true and good and right. It's pure. So, Lord, help us to know when the things that we assume are in your word are not entirely true. Help us to have discerning hearts, to know what is your will for us, what is your will for our world. Help us to know that greatness comes not from attaining more power or more stuff or accomplishments, but it comes through being a servant and a slave of all. And help us to rely on you each and every day, knowing that we don't have the strength to do all we need to do, but you have the strength to do it. And when you're alive in us, nothing is impossible. So we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.